Welcome to All Sides with Anna Staber. Republicans in the U.S. Senate might be close to an immigration deal, but conservatives in the House say it's probably dead on arrival. They're preparing to impeach the Homeland Security Secretary instead. So it raises the question, do Republicans want a deal on immigration or do they want it as a campaign issue in the 2024 election? Here to help us answer that question is Political Junkie podcast host Ken Rudin. Welcome back to All Sides. Good morning, Anna. So let's talk immigration. For weeks, Republican Senator James Lankford of Oklahoma has been working with Democrats on a border security deal, and they appear to be close. But it looks like Donald Trump might be tanking the agreement before we even get to see it. Is that... Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't know. <laughs> I didn't know if there was going to be a soundbite or something like that. That's ex- the only thing I disagree with you is that you have a lot of he might be, he could be. It's definitely this is exactly what's happening. Mitt Romney and other Republicans have said this clearly. Donald Trump does not want to give Joe Biden uh, any kind of victory, and it's it's much easier to run against Biden being soft on immigration and then then try to make a deal. So while they're going to uh, uh, impeach and uh, impeach uh, the, um, uh, the the Secretary of Homeland Security. Uh, they're going to um, uh, do everything they can to make the, the Democrats look bad. The Republicans are still running on Biden being soft on immigration. But the fact is, Jim Langford, a conservative Republican from Oklahoma, and many Republicans in the Senate are working hard on a deal, but. Donald Trump says, nope, not on my watch. And so it's not going to happen. Yeah. And the deal appears to be very good for Republicans. Democrats, for I think the first time in a long time, aren't pushing for pathways to citizenship for dreamers. Uh, They are raising the standards for accepting asylum seekers. Biden would be able to close the border during spikes in migrant crossings. I mean, we haven't seen the full deal yet, but it sounds like Republicans are getting getting most of what they want or what they say they they're, want. They're, they're getting a lot what they want, but it's not everything they want. What A lot what Trump wants, a lot one of the more extreme uh, Republicans want, has been ruled unconstitutional uh, by, by the courts around the country. So, you know, it's, it's not going to be good enough. And plus the fact that the Republicans say, well, we're not going to allow any aid to Ukraine uh, unless we have a border deal. So not only is there going to be no border deal, but there's going to be a holdup in aid to Ukraine. And right now, if you look at any of the headlines, it looks like Russia is advancing and winning and Ukraine is, is retreating. But that's all part of the Republican playbook. Don't let don't give Joe Biden and the Democrats any victories, no matter you know what we have to do to stop it. Yeah. So this is not H.R. 2. That's the House's very conservative immigration proposal. But rejecting this offer as someone who's followed politics and followed him, I got a frog in my throat. Um, So rejecting this offer strikes me as kind of wild because I believe, as Mitch McConnell has said, as Lindsey Graham has even said recently, that you need split government to get issues like this passed, that I don't think a deal like this on border security will be offered to any Republican president, including Donald Trump. 
No, I mean, that's absolutely true. And it's just saying, you know, once upon a time, the purpose of serving in public office is to negotiate and give a little to get a little. You know, Ronald Reagan said, you know, if I can give up uh, nothing is 100 percent. If I can give up 30 percent to get 70 percent, why not do it? And the Republicans are certainly in the position of getting 70 percent. And even we, even Democrats realize, you know, for the longest time, the Democrats are saying this is a bogus issue. You know, the immigration is just, you know, right wing uh, using immigrants as boogeymen. But now we're seeing when that more and more Democrats are saying, you know, something we're losing on this issue. Thousands of people are entering uh, the country illegally each day, and there's no defense for it. I mean, no political defense for it. So they, the Democrats finally realize, and maybe even too late, that there is an issue here that it's not just, uh, you know, just a, a Republican talking point. But the fact is, is that now that the Democrats realize it, uh, the Republicans are no longer interested in getting a, a deal, especially in the House. You know, in the in the Senate, yes, uh, Jim Langford, Mitt Romney, uh, Lindsey Graham, uh, Mitch McConnell, other Republicans are saying, let's get this deal done. But Mike Johnson, as you pointed out, said, look, it's dead on arrival because Donald Trump told him to say it's dead on arrival. Yeah, it's just wild to me because I do think this is the offer of a lifetime, so to speak. Uh, You know, Langford was on Fox News Sunday making his case, saying that, you know, Republicans came together, locked arms and said, we're not giving money for Ukraine unless we get this change in the law. And then he was like, a few months later, when we're finally getting to the end, they're like, oh, just kidding. And that's a direct quote from Langford. That's not me saying it. He he seemed a little missed. Yeah, it's the ultimate catch-22 that, uh, well, we're not going to give you a border cigar. We're not going to give you aid to Ukraine unless we get a border deal. So the Democrats say, okay, here's a border deal. And they say, well, we don't want that either. Um, it depends on what the American people, how they see that. Uh, they, they either see the Republicans as being tough on the border, tougher on the border than the Democrats are, or they see the Republicans as definitely playing politics with the lives of so many, including the life of the Ukrainian government, uh, which could very well fall if there's no military supplies coming their way. So, so it's you know it it doesn't matter what the consequences are as long as we could give we could we could uh, deal a, a defeat for President Biden. And, you know, we've seen politics before. We've seen, like, you know, what the, the Democrats have played games with pol- uh, political games on big issues before, as have Republicans. But this seems the ultimate in cynicism. And, and again, unfortunately, we may just have to wait till uh, this November to see how it turns out. Yeah, I think it'll really come down to who do Democrat, not Democrats, who does the American public blame for this deal falling apart? Can Democrats successfully sell it as President Biden has been trying to in his campaign speech is that I would close the border tomorrow if I was given that power to do so? Or will it be seen as, well, Republicans are holding firm on important issues? You know whose fault it really is? It's and I mean this very seriously, it's Taylor Swift's fault. <laughs> because if if you listen, I mean, I mean I'm mean, i switching subjects here, but my goodness, if you listen to the absolute insanity coming from Fox News and others about how she's part of a Defense Department psycho-op 
uh, psycho psych warfare about you know uh, you know uh, um, getting into people's minds and infiltrating the young, and they keep saying, well, you know, it, it's disgraceful that they use that, that they see Taylor Swift as a god. Meanwhile, there are gold gold statues of Donald Trump appearing all over the world, talking about you know false gods. But it just uh, I, I'm going from one madness to another, but it makes no sense. Of course, it makes no sense to blame Taylor Swift, but it, but there's no concrete rationale for what the Republicans are doing either. It's just politics. But but I don't know. It just it, nothing makes sense. It seems to make sense anymore. I will say I have been loving the Taylor Swift West Wing crossovers as people too. try to figure out whether she can make it back to the Super Bowl on time. Uh, I've really been enjoying that as a longtime fan of the West Wing. Um, but, you know, Lankford, so the the Republican from Oklahoma who's working on this uh, border deal, he's getting censured by his own party in, in his state. Like, he's in real trouble. Now, he's not up, I think, until 2028, so he may have time to recover from this. But, I mean, he's getting a lot of heat for working on this border deal. Oh, yeah, that happened to a lot of people. Once upon a time, when he was first elected in 2010, Marco Rubio of Florida was really involved and deeply involved in negotiations for, um, for about uh, immigration reform and border, you know, border security. And then when he started, he also started getting censured by Republican state, par- uh, state party in Florida and around the country. He said, you know, the political risk isn't worth it. I mean, yes, I believe in these principles, but if, if I'm going to pay the price of losing my career because of just some kind of a, a de- decision made by the Republican higher upset that this is not a, a, this is a lose-lose deal, I'm going to stay out of it. And that's just... You know, you, you again, once again, you get elected to office, you get elected to Congress, hoping to solve problems, hoping to solve many of the nation's woes that could that Congress could play uh, a determining role in, and it realize it's it's not worth it. You either retire as many people do, or you just uh, stay silent. And I mean, that's basically what Mitt Romney's had to decide. He's quitting this year because he realized he's not going to make any headway with Republican uh, colleagues in the Senate, and he's going out very strong by by telling people exactly what's going on. Mitt Romney's probably the least popular Republican in the conference, but for people who believe in the truth and who people who believe in uh, clear transparency, um, in my view anyway, uh, Mitt Romney is a hero. And I want to move on to the House impeachment of Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas, a name that probably most people didn't know just a week or two ago. But now it looks like the House is going to move forward with articles of impeachment. And so it's, it's definitely an interesting place that we're in politically. Uh, impeachment is supposed to have something to do with high crimes and misdemeanors, you know, treason and things like that. Mayorkas is guilty of none of that. As a matter of fact, of, uh, there's no, there's not one single witness that the Republicans have brought up defending the Republican bid to to impeach Mayorkas. And basically, they're saying uh, they're saying, well, you know, um, it's a failed policy. Well, it may be a failed policy, and we could talk, uh, you know, until we're blue in the face of who's responsible for it. But to impeach him because because of you know, I mean, where's where's the high crimes and misdemeanors? Where is that? 
the, the last, the only time a member of cabinet uh, was, was impeached was impeached was I think uh, uh, a cabinet secretary in the Ulysses Grant uh, um, uh, administration, and I mean I was so young back then <laughs> that I that I really don't have much memory of it, but I do know that. When you look at the history books and you look at how they're, they're, you know, they're censuring Adam Schiff, and, you know, once upon a time censuring a member of Congress was a big deal. Why did they censure Adam Schiff? Because he, he opposed Donald Trump's bid to thwart the Constitution. I mean, it's just remarkable. And, you know, it, it, I, you know I think what, what they're doing, what they're doing is that we're just getting so – um, we're just stunned by all the things that they are doing, breaking tradition and violating, you know, breaking the rules. And and rather than saying, you know, rather than getting outraged, I think the American people are just getting numb. And they're saying, OK, we'll impeach my orchestra, we'll impeach Joe Biden because because Hunter Biden, Biden may have done something which he may and he may not have done it. But let's impeach him anyway. And this is what this is what governing is. And I suspect that even if Joe Biden gets reelected in November, in November, I can't believe it's only a couple of months away already. I mean, nine months away. But even if he gets reelected, this this alternate fact wing of the Republican Party is not going to go away. And you just don't know even you don't even know if elections will change anything anymore because, you know, you know, we, we've had January 6th. And I suspect that uh, with a re-election of, of, of Joe Biden, we'll have other January 6th, not so much, you know, violent insurrections, but just just, you know, just throwing out rules and regulations and traditions in the name of uh, Trumpism. It's it's just, you know, it's amazing. I, I some people ask me and I bet you they ask you that, too, that how can you deal with this day in and day out? How can you love politics, uh, given what goes on and. My answer is because I remember the way things once were. I mean, I mean, they, you know, Democrats and Republicans saw things differently, but at least they worked on things. They worked on things about the war and taxes and 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 uh, and civil rights. And, and, you know, they didn't you know, one side didn't always win, but there was a serious effort made to resolve crises now. They're just creating crises, and and uh, people are going, going to say, well, I guess this is the way politics is from now on, and it serves Donald Trump's purpose because if you if you upend traditions, if you upend um, the the purpose of voting, then you know if if the democracy is, maybe democracy isn't that great after all. It's just it's just one after another another, and it just weighs everybody down. Yeah, the phrase I keep coming back to is the weaponization of procedure, because that really seems to be the new trend in politics, that we're sort of weaponizing the rules of the game, whether it be censure, whether it be impeachment, whether it be, you know, it just seems like these these things that used to be rare and mean something are now just par for the course. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know where it begins. You know, everybody blames somebody else. You could blame Newt Gingrich. You could blame, you know, the Tea Party. You could blame, well, you could, look, you could blame anybody you want. But the, I mean, the fact is, Donald Trump didn't create this situation. No. He took advantage 
of a weak political party, um, you know, a party that was tired of losing. You know, they lost with uh, new, with they lost with John McCain, they lost with Mitt Romney, and they were tired of losing. And Donald Trump said, "I'll show you how to win." And while the Republicans have been losing elections as of late, you know, they lost the presidency in, in 2020. They lost the Senate in 2018. Uh, they didn't have the red wave they, they expected in 2022. But he, say, he speaks a language that those, you know, those fed up anonymous taxi drivers who always write to the New York Daily News, I'm sick of, you know, or Howard Beale in Network, I'm sick and tired of this, of what's going on, and I'm not going to stand for it anymore. And Donald Trump speaks their language. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about the $83 million verdict against Donald Trump and whether it'll make any difference to the voters of South Carolina. That's when All Sides continues on 89.7 NPR News. Black perspectives haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now, we're taking center stage. Introducing NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, a collection of Black-led stories from NPR's podcasts. Search NPR Black Stories, Black Truths wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to All Sides. I'm your host, Anna Staber. We're talking national politics this hour with political journalist Ken Rudin. And it's kind of crazy to be saying on February 1st, when Donald Trump has won 32 of the roughly 2,400 delegates who officially vote for the GOP presidential nominee, but he's kind of wrapped up this nomination. The math for Nikki Haley, the only challenger really left in the race, just isn't there. Are, are you there, Ken? <laughs> you know, I'm sorry. I, I, I'm always waiting for you to hear. I'm always waiting to hear a sound bite and expecting to hear a sound bite. Okay, okay, I'm sorry. There is I'm one coming up, actually. The... I should have played it, but go on. Well, no, I mean, this is true. You know, she really isn't there. I mean, basically, here's her story. Her argument was she never was going to do well in Iowa. Uh, she was always going to do well in New Hampshire. But she lost by 11 points. I don't think that's close, given the fact that the independents, uh, New Hampshire is a state where independents can vote for either party. That The independents is what gave John McCain a huge victory over George W. Bush in 2000. And she was hoping for a similar, uh, you know, uh, uh, Independence Day for her. But she didn't do well. She got, you know, trailed by 11 points. And her next next thing, uh, next basic uh, contest is February 24th in South Carolina, the state that she served as governor for two terms. 
And the latest Washington Post poll that came out, I guess, yesterday or today even, I think it was, it showed that uh, uh, Donald Trump up with a, a, like a 58 to 32 uh, margin over in the poll. Everybody in South Carolina, the two senators, Tim Scott and Lindsey Graham, the governor, Henry McMaster, members of Congress, they're all endorsed her, and they feel that she's just too liberal. Uh, matter of fact, her numbers, uh, Nikki Haley's numbers in South Carolina were far better a couple of weeks ago than they are now. Now her net negative is higher than her net positive. So, so I mean, you know, why does she stay in the race? Well, she does. You know, she 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 likes to drive Donald Trump mad. And I mean, he went. If you listen to his victory speech in New Hampshire, he went ballistic that she had the temerity to stand up there and and basically what sounded to him as a victory speech. And he said, I can't believe she's talking about winning when she actually lost, which is exactly what Donald Trump has done throughout his political career. But, you know, never mind that. But so, yes, she drives him crazy. But but your initial uh, prognosis, you know, report is correct. She has no shot at the presidential nomination. And she still says things like, well, you know, if he was uh, if, if, if he was indicted uh, and, and convicted, I would still vote for him. He, she still can't do what so many never Trump Republicans wanted to do is just to take him on on his weak spots. So, I mean, to say that, well, he spent a lot of money, he spent, you know, he he did a lot of deficit spending. I mean, you know, yeah, yawn, you know, nobody's going to get excited about that. But she stays in the race and, he, you know, and he resents it. And it's kind of fun to see Donald Trump uh, exhibit peak. But as far as chances for the nomination, uh, there is it's between none and none. <laughs> One of the bigger conversations is about the fact that she's a woman and whether we're ready for the first female president. Now, I know we had this conversation in 2016 with Hillary Clinton, but here's here's a clip. We're going to play a clip of Republican pollster and strategist Sarah Longwell, who had this to say about Republican voters that she's talked to. Like I said, I do these focus groups. And one of the things that I heard when I would ask about Nikki Haley is how many women who were Republicans said that they didn't think a woman should be president. Um, I was actually quite surprised by this. I'm not surprised that much anymore by what I hear from voters, but I was surprised at how many people said that they didn't think a woman should be president among these two-time Trump voters. Well, I mean, basically, I'm glad that at least Republican voters think that women should have the right to vote. But, you know, it's true. I mean, we did see in 2016 that there was a lot of argument about Hillary Clinton. And a lot of people say, well, the argument was really less about whether a woman should be president and more whether Hillary Clinton should be president. And I think there's some validity to that as well. But, um, you know, to say, you know, look, Republicans do elect women. You know, we've seen, you know, Christy, Christy Lake almost was elected governor in Arizona. Christy Nome is the governor of South, South Dakota. Uh, Nikki Haley was elected twice. I mean, I don't want to just have to name, you know, individuals because, you know, they do elect women. Yeah. But, but when they talked about the president of the United States, it just seems to be, you, you, you really don't have permission to run against Donald Trump. The, the, the Trump cult 
seems to say that, um, you know, maybe in some other universe, some other decade, some other opportunity, a uh, woman could run, and that's fine, but not against uh, not against um, uh, Donald Trump. And it's not just uh, Nikki Haley they said that about, but they said that about, you know, Ron DeSantis and uh, Vivek, you know, Ramaswamy and all the other, and Tim Scott and all the others, that they this is just Donald Trump's party, and whether you're a woman, whether you're African-American, whether you're, you know, somebody from Mars like Ramaswamy, I mean, you still don't have the right to run against Trump because this is his party. I'm not sure how much sexism there is in the Republican Party or how much more there is in the Republican Party than there is anywhere else. But I think what, what, what Nikki Haley is, is up against is less sexism, is less misogyny, and more about that she's just not Donald Trump. I do want to ask about one potentially problematic part of the polling that we've seen come out of Iowa and New Hampshire, uh, potentially for the general election. So Trump has been unpopular with independents. And I wonder if that's perhaps a warning sign, given that, you know, Haley has got such strong support from right leaning independents. Does that tell us anything about the general or is it way too soon to be reading those tea leaves? No, well, of course, you know, the tea leaves are, are, are instructive to be watching all along. <clears throat> and I agree that I think there is what the strength that Donald Trump is showing, and he showed a lot of strength. I mean, he basically, he won every possible demographic uh, in Iowa, including uh, uh, college grads, uh, college education, which is um, usually not a strong suit. But, but when it comes to, you know, November, um, we're seeing more and more. In, if he's only getting, for example, you know, 51 percent in Iowa, and maybe he'll get 55 to 60 percent in in uh, South Carolina. I uh, think he got 52 percent in New Hampshire. That means there's a sizable number of Republicans, or at least people who identify as Republicans, who are not going to vote for him now. I mean, unfortunately for the Democratic Party, uh, Joe Biden is hardly uh, everybody's uh, idea of an exciting candidate. Uh, Democrats admit that they would rather have almost anybody other than Joe Biden run. I mean, they wish he had stepped down, but as it turned out, he decided not to. And, you know, grudgingly, the Democrats are going to go along with him. But I think if you still look at independence, if you think of people who haven't made up their mind yet, or which is hard to imagine, you know, after after all these years of Trump and Biden, if you don't know who you're going to vote for by now, it's hard to imagine minds being changed. But having said that, I think that that Trump had an opportunity to reach out to expand his share of the electorate. He decided not to do it. So while he'll have his base and he'll have his true believers, there's a good sizable segment of the Republican Party and of the electorate in, in, at large uh, that it will never vote for him. A jury has also ordered Donald Trump to pay writer E. Jean Carroll $83 million as punishment for what they say was defaming her after she accused him of sexually assaulting her. Trump called the jury's decision absolutely ridiculous, but the political question is whether it matters. Well, whether it matters for voters, I mean, we've seen, and this is the, the, this is probably the, one of the biggest stories of the year, that every time a, a, a verdict goes against Donald Trump, every time there's another indictment, his numbers go up. I mean, clearly, uh, I think there was one, 
I don't know if it was a Georgia case or it was the the, the uh, stolen the, the the unreturned documents. But when that indictment went out, went up, uh, uh, was released, <clears throat> uh, Trump uh, raised you know ten million dollars that day alone. So I don't think it matters really. I don't think I I, I don't you know the fact is that Donald Trump is within you know two three four points of of. Joe Biden and in some polls, he's leading by the same amount of two, three, four poll uh, points. But uh, but if, if you if you think of all the things he's been accused of, you know, uh, with with all the indictments and all the accusations and the E. Jean Carroll and the, and treating women the way he treats women and treating the truth the way he treats the truth, and the fact that he's he's he could very well be the next president of the United States. It's just remarkable. I mean, you know, all the rules are thrown out. It doesn't. Bad headlines are, are not necessarily bad headlines for Donald Trump. So, if I'm thinking, I've been starting to call Super Tuesday not so Super Tuesday, um, and it's definitely looking that by the time we get to the Ohio primary in March, the the Republican presidential nomination is going to be completely over. Which means the big ticket here is going to be the Republican race for U.S. Senate. And we had the candidates have gone up uh, in their very first debate. And I'm waiting for some polling that's in the field right now. I'm super curious to see the results post Trump endorsement to see whether, like Vance, if Bernie Moreno is getting that Trump bump. Well, you know, something it seems like if 2022 is any indication, it seems like a Trump endorsement can make a big, big difference in a primary not necessarily in a general election. Yes, he did endorse J.D. Vance in, 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 in advance of the primary, and Vance went on to win the election, uh, you know, which was, which was um, uh, you know, a big victory for Trump. But many of his endorsements in Arizona and Michigan and New Hampshire and uh, other states like that, he's made endorsements that made a big difference in the primary, but some of them are so... I mean, the fact that they still don't believe that the, that Joe Biden was elected in 2020, most voters say, OK, enough of that already. Let's try to pay attention to the present and the future. Uh, when you have Trump supporters who still are transfixed about 2020, um, that, that's not a winning strategy. But, but I will not diminish uh, the impact of a Trump endorsement in the primary. It just it, it does make a difference. I mean, sometimes it doesn't. You know, he can endorse Madison Cawthorn in North Carolina and the voters will just laugh him out of his, his seat. Uh, but at the same time, you know, he'll name he'll endorse a candidate nobody thought of, Ted Budd in North Carolina, and he wound up winning a re- Republican primary and winning in November. So um, I would rather have, if I were a Republican, I would rather have his endorsement than not have it. But it doesn't always mean victory in November. Yeah. And I would say Democratic incumbent Senator Sherrod Brown is not Tim Ryan. It's not the same kind of challenge. Most notably, we just had a campaign finance filing deadline. And Sherrod Brown raised more than $6 million in the last quarter and has more than $14 million cash on hand waiting to go for this election. I mean, he is funded in a way that Tim Ryan was just not funded in 2022. 
Yeah, look, that that shows a lot of uh, Sherrod Brown's staying power. That and he's a he's a great campaigner, and you have to be a great campaigner to be a Democrat and to hope to succeed in Ohio. But remember, Hillary Clinton way outspent Donald Trump in 2016. And if you look at the Electoral College, not the popular vote, but if you look at the Electoral College. Trump won it, even though he was outspent. So money doesn't mean everything. Uh, I mean, look at Jeb Bush in uh, in 2020. I'm sorry, 2016. I mean, he had a hundred million dollars, uh, and, uh, and he, I, did he get one delegate? Did he get any delegates? It was a complete flop. But having said that, you know, you if, if you're able to raise money as Sherrod Brown is, if you're able to be a good gritty campaigner as he's shown to be, I mean, in addition to the Senate, he, you know, he was in Congress and he was Secretary of State. I mean, he's a whole uh, 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 a great resume of winning elections. But you know, Ohio is different. When he was first elected to the Senate, uh, Ohio was then considered pretty much a swing state. Ohio is not considered a swing state any longer. Uh, this will be uh, Sherrod Brown's toughest race. And one of his hopes, I guess, is that the Republicans, you know, beat each other up in the primary. That's what Tim Ryan was hoping for in 2020, that all those candidates were really, you know, brutal on each other. But but J.D. Vance held on to win. Um, uh, Sherrod Brown is going to have a very tough race. Uh, and whether I, I mean, I still think that the Republicans will win control of the Senate uh, in November. Uh, but uh, but if Sherrod Brown goes down to defeat, then you could you can you can make the case that uh, Republicans majority is a certainty. And Biden is actually returning to Ohio. He's making his first trip of 2024 and his first trip to East Palestine to mark one year since the train derailment there. It's an area that used to be or in play for Democrats like Tim Ryan. It remains to be seen whether it's in play for Democrats like Sherrod Brown. But it is I don't know how to read the tea leaves on this about him coming now on the one year anniversary. Well, of course, he got tremendous criticism for, uh, for take, when he took his time the first time around when he showed up late. Even Donald Trump was there before he was, and, and even, you know, a, a, a sensible Biden supporter said, you, you, just, you just waited too long. Uh, but, you know, what's interesting about what's going on with the Biden campaign, I mean, if you look at numbers, if you look at the economy, the economy keeps reporting great numbers. And I'm not talking about for Biden's reelection, but for the economy itself. Unemployment is down. Job creation is up. Uh, um, now, there's, you know, there are a lot of things going wrong, but it's definitely increasing. The numbers are really getting better. And yet there's a perception in this country, perhaps because of Republican, you know, pounding in into, into people. But there's a perception that the economy is fault is, is faltering. And, and Joe Biden is responsible for it. Now, any president is responsible for an economy, you know, rightly or wrongly. I mean, if you need to blame somebody or credit somebody, it should be the person in charge. But Joe Biden seems to be the kind of guy who who you think that should get more credit than he's getting. And I don't know if it's bad PR on behalf of the of the Biden people. But but right now, if you talk to people about the about what's going wrong, the economy is up there. And truth is, you know, even though gas prices have come down, uh, the headlines were when they were going up, even though food prices have come down, they're still higher than they should be. Um, 
but but look and look at the stock market record breaking. Now that doesn't help mom and you know mom and pa uh, uh, Smith, you know the, the working class people about the stock market. But all signs indicate that the economy is good, and yet it seems like the Democrats are on the defensive about it, and that's just startling to me. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about two rare moments of bipartisanship in the U.S. Senate and House. That's when All Sides continues on 89.7 NPR News. Black perspectives haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now, we're taking center stage. Introducing NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, a collection of Black-led stories from NPR's podcasts. Search NPR Black Stories, Black Truths wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to All Sides. I'm your host, Anna Staver. We're talking national politics this hour with political junkie podcast host Ken Rudin. And now I want to turn to a topic that unites Republicans and Democrats. Their anger at social media companies over the way these apps can harm and exploit children. In a hearing this week in the U.S. Senate, um, Social media companies got raked across the coals, and Mark Zuckerberg, the CEO of Meta, actually turned around to face the audience of parents who had lost children, and he apologized. It was, it was quite a moment in that hearing. Uh, is, there, is there a soundbite not coming? <laughs> there is a soundbite not coming. <laughs> I'm, really, I'm really on top of things today. Can I just interrupt for one quick second? Because I think the commercial we just heard, Ari Shapiro, and it, 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 basically he said what we've been saying, that crime statistics is, uh, are down, crime is down, and yet people see crime as a major issue. So that's part of the perception is reality uh, kind of thing that's going on in this country. Just like with the economy, crime numbers are much improved from you know the last couple of years, but people don't feel it, don't see it. So that's interesting. The thing about you know about uh, about social media and uh, and 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 how uh, how responsive they are to to you know abuse and and election uh, lies and things like that are a serious issue and you know both sides agree with it. I was watching part of that hearing and I just saw him and he he tried to appeal t- to uh, the the families and it this is it's, it's I've referred to. Um, social media, uh, and sometimes as a cesspool, because so much ugliness and so much, uh, just you know, just you know, cruel cruelty is paraded on these platforms. I really feel that way about uh, X, you know, the former Twitter, than anything else. Even though Zuckerberg was talking about uh, Facebook, but the the fact is, is that there is an opportunity for for hate to be spread and 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 you know ugliness to be spread. I think I think one of the reasons why there's so much dissension and disunity in this country is because of the power of social media. So, 
you know, Zuckerberg can apologize all he wants, and, and uh, but the fact is, is that so many there's so much stuff being put out there about about children, about sex, about about um, uh, election disun uh, lies, about about uh, you know downright cruelty and bigotry and misogyny and 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 uh, you know ethnic uh, flaming of the fire. That is just, you know, they can defend all they want and they can say we're trying to make it better. But I think people know that it's just a lot of, more and more people are leaving these social platforms because they just say it's just too ugly. And unfortunately, with me, it's like an addiction. I am, I'm, and I'm serious about it here. I can't turn off Twitter or X or whatever you call it, even though I, I just brace myself and I, I recoil in horror. As some of the things I say, but uh, about some of the things that I've read, but I just can't pull myself away from it. And I do see it as a moment to potentially, especially when it comes to minors and how children access social media. I think there's actually a chance in this election year to pass some sort of regulatory legislation. It's something that everybody's like, at least it seems like from this hearing, they seem to agree upon. Well, well, what do you pass? I mean, there's always the free speech absolutists uh, who will say that you know any infringement of you know constitutional rights, uh, you know, you know, is just uh, is not going to happen. And just you know, you you just can't do that. But but I mean, we could we could stand on the Constitution all we want, and we should stand on the Constitution all as much as we want, as much as we can. But when, when people are shamed and bullied, uh, there's so much bullying going on, uh, the amount of suicide, the number of suicides, uh, because of social media taunting is just, it's, it's, it's tragic. You know, you think of people going into a gun, with a gun, into a school and just, you know, slaughtering children. And as horrific as that is, it may be not too dissimilar from somebody just using social media uh, to, 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 you know, to, as, as with, with a cruel uh, scalpel to just, you know, destroy people's lives. So I don't know how you pass laws. I don't know what you can do, uh, how specific you can get uh, to limit what uh, social media can be said on social media. But... Um, but look, it's the kind of bullying, the kind of ugliness that we've been seeing, and uh, and Zuckerberg acknowledged, Zuckerberg acknowledged that in the hearing, uh, that can't go on. And in another moment of bipartisanship, the House passed a $78 billion tax bill last night that would expand the child tax credit and restore some corporate tax breaks. So it looks like we could get major legislation passed in an election year, maybe. Yeah, maybe. I mean, uh, you know, something I I, I, I I appreciate your optimism and looking for hope uh, springs um, eternal. For, uh, the, the what? I said hope springs eternal for me. Well, yeah, yeah, it does. But uh, I am I am the glad I've been become, you know, a complete change for me. I've become the glass half empty guy because because I just see if you look at the headlines and the rantings and the and the cruelty and the ugliness and so, yes, sometimes Congress can pass something. They'll, they'll pass, you know, Charles uh, tax credits and things like that, and that's great. But, but things that are so important, you know, that, that, that need fixing, 
that that are, is veil is there for the fixing is um is 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 not being addressed at all and and again everybody says well you can't pass immigration reform because it's an election year every year is an election year if you can use that as an excuse you might as well just talk to, you know be talking to the wall because because it, because there are things that need to be addressed so badly that just are, that are not being addressed. Can I ask one thing? Because I know that we don't have much time. I don't know if you don't want to talk about Taylor Swift, and the reason I, I do, and not, not not because I'm a a People magazine kind of guy, and not because I like you know it's so much fun to talk about it, but it startles me the the amount of 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 in, the, just cruel, just ugliness how. She has become a representative from the Republicans of everything that's wrong with this country, that she's, she's plotting the doom of this country because she's either, you know, a spy for the Pentagon, she's an agent for Joe Biden, um, she's, you know, this or that. I don't know, I just, I've just never seen anything like it that, that you know, one Republican said, well, you know, even though we don't have uh, Taylor Swift, but we do have... Uh, John Voigt and, and and Ted Nugent, Ted Nugent and Kid Rock, and I'm thinking, why is this an issue? Why are we talking about things that are so insane? And uh, I, again, I sound like one of these ranting people, but I just look at the headlines and I look at the social media things that that, that you know are talking about these issues, and I just don't understand why. That has become such an overriding issue uh, among people who just don't have enough to complain about. I don't know, but I would caution those poking at Taylor Swift to keep in mind that in April of 2023, before her heiress tour, she was worth about 500-ish million dollars. She's now worth 1.1 billion. I mean, to give you a sense of how popular she is, how much of a phenomenon that heiress tour was, how loyal her followers are. I mean, I, you know, I would be careful about poking the bear too hard, given the influence that she actually does have if she decided to say, screw it and get involved and actually endorse Joe Biden. Well, she she endorsed him in 2020. She endorsed, a matter of fact, um, uh, when she endorsed a Democratic candidate for the Senate in Tennessee in 2018, uh, Donald Trump went ballistic on that. And yeah. I mean, how does, how, you know, you're absolutely right. Why? I mean, basically, there was a Fox News, Gene uh, Jean, Jean Pirro and others like that saying, you, you better stay out of this election because this doesn't concern you. I mean, well, I think the election concerns everybody. And if you have a megaphone, uh, uh, you know, millions and millions of followers, I would take advantage of it. But, um, but to, 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 to use her as public enemy number one. Uh, as an issue, I, I think that's only just going to come back and bite them. My favorite take, know. my favorite take, has been men on Twitter who say that Taylor Swift is somehow using Travis Kelsey for his fame or his fortune, <laughs> and it's just <laughs> sort of like, right, oh, right. somebody who has a hundred gazillion dollars, they're using Travis Kelsey. But I will tell you this: I didn't know much about Travis Kelsey uh, until until the uh, until uh, they started dating. I mean, I, you know, I don't... And don't get me wrong. He's incredibly talented. He's probably NFL Hall of Fame bound. He makes tens of millions of dollars. Like, he is super successful in his own right. But, right, he is not the megastar that Swift was. 
But could you imagine Republicans rooting for the San Francisco 49ers simply because Taylor Swift back is back in the other team? That's just, you know, I've know. just never seen anything like it. And it's just part of the silliness that we have to deal with. Before we wrap up our time together, I did want to quickly touch on the war in Gaza because some Arab and Muslims in Michigan have launched an abandoned Biden campaign. It's part of a broader national movement to ensure that those in their communities cast votes, but not necessarily for Biden. I mean, he is increasingly getting pushback on what people see as an increasingly some people, not all people, I want to be clear, as an a support as the his over support for Israel. Well, actually, Joe Biden is not uh, is certainly not comparable to Donald Trump when it comes to backing Israel. I mean, Joe Biden is put in a box. Basically, he is not a fan of Netanyahu. He has he was not a, Netanyahu, a fan of Netanyahu earlier when Netanyahu was trying to subvert this country's judiciary by removing its independence, and is certainly not a fan of Netanyahu, given the fact that the. The reaction to the horrific October 7th Hamas slaughtering was met by just as horrific slaughter of tens of thousands of children, which is just, you know, beyond the pale. The, the irony here is that for the for our Arab Americans and Muslims in Michigan and elsewhere who feel that Joe Biden is the enemy and he must be defeated when they have to know that the alternative is a Netanyahu backing uh, 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 Donald Trump. And so, yes, uh, has, is, has Biden made mistakes in the Mideast? Absolutely. Is he, is he put in a box where, he, where he's, you know, he doesn't really have much of a choice sometimes or he's you know, stymied by Netanyahu's intransigence? Yes. But, I mean, I think he, what he's doing is right. I think his private emissaries to Netanyahu saying that enough is enough already. I mean, I mean, what 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 about, uh, um, you know, uh, mass slaughter? Don't you understand? Uh, and it's could You know, Michigan is one of the six states in the country that people care about. I mean, isn't that remarkable that you have, you have 50 states in the country and only six will make a difference in November? And what what the Arab community is doing in Michigan could turn the table to, to turn the tide against uh, Joe Biden. But uh, but if you know, if, if they're happy with the, the result of Donald Trump, then more power to them. Gretchen Whitmer, who's a governor of Michigan and is very popular, I think one of her jobs may be to to inform people that, look, it's an ugly situation and and the Biden administration is doing what it can. But the alternative uh, meaning Donald Trump would be much worse. That was political journalist Ken Rudin, who's also the host of the Political Junkie podcast. Thank you so much for your time this hour. Oh, wait, I was waiting for another soundbite. Um, <laughs> uh, oh, no. Uh, thank you, Anna. I'm kidding. I, I love you. I love being on your show and I love the, the things we talk about. And that'll do it for this hour of All Sides. If you missed any part of this conversation, you can catch it by searching for All Sides on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen. Thanks so much.